0: This is a box Media
1: Podcast. Murder Was the Case is a free-form conversational podcast which makes educated speculations about criminal cases and human psychology based upon the information we have reviewed. The show is intended to entertain and educate our listeners with regard to criminal psychology and behavior. At no point should the content of Murder Was the Case, whether spoken by a host or guest, be misconstrued as a formal professional opinion or diagnosis, nor as a wholly accurate or complete account of any case. Any person discussed as a suspect or potential suspect is innocent unless a court of law determines otherwise. If you dig Murder Was the Case on Glassbox Media, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MurderWTCase, or on TikTok at mwtc podcast a very common thing we hear is i want to get inside their heads here's the thing
0: while you have this idea that you're going to get inside their heads guess what they're getting in yours
1: you are listening to murder was the case exploring the darkest most perverse and bestial crimes known to man on the crawlspace network chris duet the hardcore, tatted, and tremendous host of Criminal Perspective is back in the dive bar to teach you the do's and don'ts of writing to prison inmates. This episode is inked in blood. In case you missed our last episode with Chris, this guy is an old hand at writing to convicts, and that old hand is by no means cramping up. It's crushing. Welcome to the Murder Was The Case Dive Bar. Yes, Chris Duet, that was a Diet a w root beer I cracked, but I am not one to lie to the people. Diet, huh? You are you watching your figure now? <laughs> that is that a else. bottle of
0: Jack Daniels, sir.
1: Yeah, so we're going to mix the two. Yeah, I haven't been <laughs> watching my figure, dude. I lost about 15 pounds. It is. Yeah, about the past month and a half. And you
0: put it I right just, back on with that beard. <laughs> that's a that's a, well, that's a that's a good 20 pounds of hair on your face right now
1: it did occur to me that i have more hair on my face than a lot of people have on their entire bodies especially like in this sort of intense grooming phase manscaping yeah. did you see this now on ufc they're advertising manscaping
0: do you remember when they advertised dude wipes for a long time on the fighter shorts and stuff well what are dude wipes what are dude wipes? I don't know. But, I mean, it sounds like a masculine and wet wipes or something. Maybe smells mm-hmm. like high karate or Stetson. I don't know.
1: I guess manscaping is like they're now trying to sell men on the idea of getting something like a Brazilian. I'm into it. <laughs> You're into it? Well, yeah, why not? We're approaching middle age, man. We got to be on top of that stuff. Okay. Okay. I think there's an argument for not letting things get ridiculously out of control, but (laughs) I don't think that I need symmetry.
0: (laughs) You know what it is, is I think my idea and your idea of ridiculously out of control are too far apart. Because I'm, (laughs) I'm looking at your face right now. Look at, see, look at, I keep my beard nice and trim and
1: shaped up and all that. And I'm looking at you and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, because you have to interact with other people on a daily basis. <laughs> like, like hell, I do. I never leave this apartment. No? You take your kids oh. to school and stuff, right? I don't fucking talk to anybody. Have yeah. you seen
0: me? Look at me. God damn it. I scare absolutely <laughs> everybody.
1: <laughs> Not even trying. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, that's the reason I have this beard. The minute I have to go out in public and do something serious, I'll trim it up. It'll be gone, but... Right now, just walking around my house, I don't mind looking like Gandalf.
0: I mean, you look great.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So that was an interesting little way to start off, but I'd like to actually speak with you. We've talked in the past about some of the people that you've interviewed. We've talked about your show, Phil Jablonski, and we talked about the satanic Christ and all that, but I w- I'd like to abstract it a little bit more because I think there's a lot of people out there who would like to write to inmates or would like to communicate with them or have entertained the possibility. And I trust you more on this because you've had so much success with this. I trust you more on this than if I were to just bring some random psychologist or <laughs> cop or something like that on yeah. the show. I mean, this is something that you've learned grasp Roots, it's like you learn to play guitar by ear, right? Yeah. And I know that you will have picked up other tricks along the way and you will have learned from your m- mistakes. And so I guess what I'd like is for you to bestow the tricks of your trade. If, if you're a magician, how did you make that rabbit come out of the hat? Yeah. And uh, when you're dealing with different killers, how do you feel them out? How do you use different a- approaches and such? So just speak freely.
0: Yeah, so I mean, really, it was a game of trial and error. When I first started doing this, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I had a pretty good idea. I devoured the textbooks. I think step one is you have to know what you're getting into and know the possibilities. You have to know their environment, how they're living. You have to have a very good understanding of what you're getting into. And if you don't have that, you're going to be caught off guard. You're going to be chasing your tail the whole time. And there's a lot of things that can put you in a situation where you're chasing your tail. But I think step one is to really understand what you're doing. What I tell everybody is if you have questions about this, you shouldn't be doing it. That's, that's rule number one. So I, I get asked a lot from people that, hey, I want to do this. And then they have a million questions. I tell them right then, no, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no objective. You have no direction. I think all of that is extremely important if you want to get into this world. Another thing, Andrew tells this to people a lot. A very common thing we hear is, I want to get inside their heads. Here's the thing. Well, You have this idea that you're going to get inside their heads. Guess what? They're getting in yours. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. They're convicts. They live amongst convicts. And they're always trying to have a leg up and play the game. You think you're getting in theirs? Believe me, they're 100% trying to get in yours. So you have to learn to play the game. You have to know what they're doing and how to react to it. I think that staying neutral a lot of the time and extracting what you want from them without giving in to their whims or giving in without recognizing that you're giving in. You have to be acutely aware of this stuff. And if you're not, you're not going to achieve your aims and they're going to pull one over on you. And what that is, I don't know. Everyone's different, but just some basic rule of thumb right there. That's a lot of things that people would never consider getting into this. And it starts right there.
1: Okay. So I want to expand a little bit on those two points. First of all, and we can get past this pretty quickly. You said you have to understand their environment that mm. they're in. So you're talking about prison or some variant of it generally. Yes. So you have to know what the conditions are like in a prison But do you also extend that to the specific institutions like protocol at, I don't know, Pelican Bay is like this?
0: Yes, you can, because some prisons are more oppressive than others. Like you have Pelican Bay who these guys are on lockdown all fucking day. And then who are they surrounded by? They're surrounded by shot callers, people high up in the gangs, things like that. They could be on an sny yard if they're on a sny yard who are they surrounded by they're surrounded by gang dropouts child molesters rapists high profile inmates i know phil Spector is on sny yard with roy norris things like (laughs) that you know so you kind of have to know who they're surrounded by the politics of their yard are they in 23 hour lockdown are they on police escort everywhere they go you have to know where their mindset is. Are they starving for human interaction? Are they used to keeping their mouth shut? They're on a general population yard. No snitching out of the question. You don't talk about your case. You don't talk about what's going on. You don't give up game about the institution, about the politics of inside. Where is their mind? That's part of it. I mean, you got to know this stuff.
1: How do you do that before you initially approach them?
0: I think if you have an understanding of the prison system, at least generally, you don't have to know it inside and out. And you have an understanding of the offender, their personality. Are they violent? Are they violent within the institution? Are they involved in gangs? You can draw enough conclusions to have an idea. And that's just it. You're not trying to get to know them before you get to know them. You're just trying to have an idea to figure out what approach is going to make you more successful. What's going to get the return on that investment?
1: Mm, Yeah. And you were talking about them getting one over on you. And so I recently used the JPay system, which we Mm. should talk about because it's pretty dope. And I I don't (laughs) think most people know it exists, but it's about the funnest app you're ever going to have on your phone. And Mm. I contacted one of my guys and part of our deal is that I don't out him. So that's not what I'm going to do, but he's a psychopathic sexual sadist. Mm. And, I touched base with him. I was like, hey, it's me. I'm so sorry to have taken so long to got to you. Uh, you know, I had all this stuff going on in my life. I asked him, how are you doing? Uh, how is the new facility? Are you fitting in? You know, just some questions. Yeah. And then I got a reply from him in which he skirted, say, like 95% of the questions. I don't know because he just didn't feel like answering them. Like he just thought they were frivolous. Or he maybe thought that I was trying to catch him in something uh-huh. and therefore it's just better to avoid. But one of the first things that he did was like, he was warm. Yes, I remember you. Thank you for keeping your word. Here's the deal. I need this yeah. thing that costs <laughs> hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Right. And so I thought to myself, all right. Did you want a tablet or a TV? I think it was a tablet. (laughs) Yeah, probably. It was a tablet. So (laughs) I was like, okay, okay. I haven't replied to him yet. And that's not out of strategy, but I think it might work to my advantage to not look so desperate to be in touch with him all the time. Yeah, But I'm just letting my life take its course. I'm going to have time I'm going to reply to him. And knowing what I do, that he's a psychopathic sexual sadist, I think what I'm going to say is, Listen, John Doe. Listen, asshole. Let's start it. A- <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I w- I wouldn't actually say listen, John Doe. The way that I'm saying it to you is not the way I'm going to say it to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, basically, listen, Joe John Doe. I'd be more than happy to get that tablet for you, but first, it would really help me out and show good faith if you were to fill out some paperwork. I'm going to send to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if he's like, well, no, get me the tablet first, then I'll fill out the paperwork. From what my understanding of psychopaths is, is that you always want to try and keep a sort of level playing field. And Uh so I just returned to him with like, John Doe, let's cut the shit here, man. We both know what you're in prison for. One of the two of us is more trustworthy than the other. You know that, I'm going to fulfill my end of the bargain. I have reason to suspect that you might not. So therefore we're going to do it in this order or I'll just, we don't have to talk. What are your thoughts on that? So
0: how I would approach this would be to take a look at his ego. Can I play on his ego? Can I inflate it enough to where he gets lost in it? Can I make a compromise with him and make him think that there's potentially more there can i say hey look man i'm kind of hard up can i just put ten dollars on your media can i get you some stamps anything that can be used as currency or something to placate him and just a little bit that's a significant reduction from this hundred dollar item or whatever he wants but it's a good compromise and maybe leave it open to hey There's more where that came from, you know, and just get him playing. And then once those wheels are turning, you have a little bit more control there. And then the situation is a little bit more controlled as well.
1: Okay, so I should state my objective to you. There's a certain psychological test that has not been administered to people like this. That is serial killers. And I think it could be really useful in establishing a more scientifically grounded profiling system. Yeah. And so that's actually my objective. My primary objective is to get serial killers to take this test. Mm. So given that, that I could basically lead with my primary objective, like, yeah, you can have the tablet, but you got to fill out this paperwork. It seems to me like in this situation as it is the most salient thing to me that i could very quickly a- achieve that first objective and then we'll just see how the relationship goes from then on they will call your bluff at times i mean are you a gambling man because that's
0: what you're doing <laughs> that may work it may not that is a 100 percent gamble that approach right there that's why i would play it a bit more safer like I said, maybe go for a compromise or something. Depends how hard up they are. Do they really need this? Do they really want this? Can they compromise and put what they feel aside and and feel like they want to risk it? I mean, there's a lot of things to factor in here. And again, are they impulsive?
1: Um, yes. So this offender is grandiose and impulsive.
0: Yeah. I mean, it r- really Right here, what you know about him, preliminary, what you've gathered through your information, through his past, through what you have, you have to take a look at it and ask yourself, is this the best approach? Will this guy call my bluff or will he take a gamble on me? things like that. Is he high profile? Does he have other means of income? Does he have other people writing him that he can take advantage of? Can he discard me? I mean, there's a a lot that you can factor in here that can help you make a more informed decision on your approach that could lead more to the success of your aims.
1: Right. And so I know right now, just based on what you said, how I'm going to then continue. But this advice is not just for me. Like, we're using me as a case in point. Yeah. But if you're listening to this, go back and listen to what Chris said and <laughs> think if you're in this situation, that's the advice too. Uh, yeah, I know what to do with this guy in a way because in my psychological training, he's pretty classic, right? Mm. He was everything I expected to be when I when I met him. Right? Really? Yeah. I was like, wow, my education went better than I thought. But then there's other people that I would like to write to who are different. And you and I have discussed who some of those people are, and I'll get around to it. To me, it's not so obvious with some of them. Because remember, I was writing out a letter to one of them trying to get them to open up. And you were like, I think. They're going to figure that out. It's a bit too obvious. And I looked at it and I was like, you're right. You're right. So let's distinguish between, say, like syntonic and egodystonic killers. An egocentronic killer for those listening is someone who's like, yeah, I killed people. They may not be proud of it, at least not overtly. But they'll admit to it, like, yeah, that's what I am. I'm a a serial killer. Like Phil Jablonski, who recently passed, didn't he? Yeah, Yeah, it's funny (laughs) enough,
0: he died of old age, which is uh, very unfair to the universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. But Phil Jablonski, who we talked about last time, is like the portrait of an syntonic killer. He's like, of course I'm a killer. It's awesome. You know, I've killed. (laughs) And then he starts lying, I think, about killing all these other people when fools go chasing down those trails. But then you have someone like Joe Clark, who Mm -hmm. we talked about recently. He's like, no, I didn't do it. It's like, dude, (laughs) evidence, overwhelming evidence. No, no. And so there's a difference there. And I think that is... A really interesting distinction writing to an egocentric killer which my guy is he Mm. just doesn't want it getting around the prison what he actually did yeah right but he but he's fine with it like he acknowledges like I think he's like I wish I didn't do it but Mm. not because I care about them it's because I've spent the rest of my life in here but yeah yeah man I'm a killer you know that sort of thing but then there's the guys who are like they don't want to talk about it at all Mm. or they flat out deny it and so let's start with like ego and then maybe go to ego or whatever order you want to do. How would you handle both of those situations?
0: Sure. So ego is much easier to handle because it's already there. They know why you're writing them. They know what they did. So it's, that's much more easier to deal with. You don't have to placate them as much. On the other side of that, you do have to placate them the ones that are going to say i didn't do this i'm innocent
1: you The dystonic
0: have, ones this yes the dystonic ones no yeah. you have to placate them a lot for example we recently did an interview with terry blair for those who don't know terry blair murdered several prostitutes in the kansas city area there is an episode of first 48 made about his case he called the police disguised his voice told them where the bodies were kind of taunting he admits to one murder of his girlfriend back in the 70s which he did 20 some odd years in prison for but denies having anything to do with the murders of these prostitutes even though his semen was found in the vaginal cavity and on the thigh of one of them and two women identified him one he strangled and thought that he killed and another one said that he told her he was going to kill all the prostitutes in the area there's a lot of very very substantial evidence against him he was convicted he's in prison forever he tells us that hey i'm innocent i had nothing to do with this and we said cool well We'd love for you to come on our show and tell everybody that you're innocent and why you're innocent. And it opened up that dialogue and it kept it open. If we were to say, look, Terry, there's DNA against you. There's all this stuff going on. He would have shut down. You have to serve his interest. You have to serve their interests. If you're not doing that and you're not willing to placate them, you have to put your ego aside. You got to play their stupid little games. You can't hold true and be like, "I know you did." You get that's not the time to play
1: bad cop, you know. Yeah, your objective is to sustain the dialogue. Of is course, that a fair statement. Yeah, of, of course,
0: that is the number one. I mean, if you're writing them for them to deny you, what the fuck is the point?
1: Yeah, see, for me, if they're not going to give me something. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually it's like, I feel it's not worth my time. Yeah. And so has there been an ego dystonic killer, like someone who has just said, I'll talk to you, but not about the crimes, or I didn't do the crimes, who you've been able to turn from that position and slowly get them to open up and to give you a couple little drops of something. You don't have to state who it is, but I just wondering if you have a technique for that. Terry Blair. So... We did our interview with
0: Terry Blair. Like I said, there was a mountain of evidence against him. When we concluded the interview, I was talking to Terry privately on the phone. And I said, look, Terry, you know this case better than anybody. I didn't say, look, Terry, I know you did this. You got to stay within the bounds of their game, their legal position, whatever it is. I said, look, Terry, you know this case better than anybody. You've been through it. You know this inside and out. If you know where any other bodies are, let me know, and maybe we can work something out financially. He didn't say, look, man, I had nothing to do with this. I don't know any of these bodies. I am an innocent man. He said, hmm, okay, okay. And that was that. And now we got to play the game. Now I got to email him and say, hey, my offer still stands if you can find out anonymously from somebody who you think may have done this if you know where any of those things are that we talked about and you got to play the game they will expose so much to you not knowing that they're exposing so much to you you just have to play their stupid little games
1: right and this brings me to ted bundy who was always like i didn't do it whatever the master of it a master of it until they made it into a hypothetical thing, mm-hmm. which I thought was a We do that constantly. Stroke.
0: We do that it all works, the time. It
1: eh? works, Because I was thinking mm-hmm. of doing that. Not with guys who were just like, look, I don't want to talk about it. Because there's someone that you and I both know that I'd like to write to. He's admitted it. Yeah. He just doesn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a different thing. Mm-hmm. But for the guys yeah. who flat out deny it, like, okay, a Joe Clark... Right? Mm -hmm. I didn't do it. Okay, Joe. Well, clearly, this is the defining thing in your life, whether you wanted it or not. You're an innocent man, you claim. But you must have thought about the guy who did do this stuff in the case of the previous victim. Not the one he... Chris Steiner. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, Mm -hmm. you must have thought about what did happen to Chris Steiner. So, what kind of person after all these years of thinking, do you think did this? And like, why would they have done that? Mm. You know, maybe Joe is not the best example of it, but like, it's that hypothetically you've had so much time to focus on this. Mm. Tell me about what you think. And then it feels also like you're appealing to their grandiosity a bit, even though they're trying to hide it. Yeah. That's not a bad technique. No, we do that. In
0: one situation, there's an inmate in California. He's on death row. He is a Hoover Crip from South Central Los Angeles. He's on death row for sexual homicides, strangling, I believe it was 15 or 16 women. He's one of the most prolific serial killers from LA. His legal position is, I did not do this. We talked to him, we spoke to him in terms of, hypothetically, he started to open up, Mm -hmm. and you play the game. Now, we have an exclusivity deal with him, and he's ready to tell us everything for a book. And this includes sexual murders, this includes gang-related murders, Because there's more that he did that people don't know about. For instance, when Andrew was visiting him, he told a story of, well, I had this guy who shot me. I don't know if this was gang related or not, but he was shot by this guy. And then he tells Andrew, yeah, and then, you know, we both went out of town at the same time. I went out of town and he went out of town, but I came back and he didn't in rest in peace, homie. And Andrew was like, are you telling me that you killed him? And he gave Andrew that, nah, I was out of town. You know, you, you got to play the games. That's it. Yeah. Like some of them want to do it. Some are very upfront and easy to deal with. And yeah, ask me what you want. I'll, I'll talk to you about it. Yes, I did this. At least I can own up to it. It's all out there. I'll talk to you, whatever. Sometimes they just want the companionship, the interaction, or have it turn into something that they would like it to be. I mean, really, you got to understand who you're talking to and their objectives. And if there's games to be played, you got to fucking, you gotta swallow your pride and play them.
1: So what about the guy who just doesn't want to talk about his crimes? He admits to it, but he's like embarrassed by it. So, so
0: I, I, I've i had that guy. I, I had that guy recently and Sometimes they're impenetrable. Anthony Sowell. recently, I tried oh, to get yeah, yeah, I tried to get in touch with Anthony Sowell. I tried every trick in the fucking book, every play that I had to try and get him to talk to me. And his response was short and very direct, his first one saying, "Look, a lot of other people have told my story, and I'm okay with just letting them tell it. I have no desire to talk to anybody." And then so, I said, okay, well, he wrote me back. The dialogue is open. I'm going to try and keep it open. So wrote him back, wrote him a thoughtful reply. Wasn't overbearing, didn't push too hard. And I got a one word reply that said nothing. That was it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I replied to that. And then I got another reply that said nothing. One word. That was it. And I was like, you know what? He's not going to talk. So sometimes you got to chalk up some losses, you know, and it happens.
1: Okay. Well, while we're on Anthy's uh, soul, yeah, I'm pretty sure that guy fucked around with the corpses. I'm pretty what sure. Do you think? Do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: think yeah. so. Yeah, and that's never really come out, has it? No, but it like, hasn't. That's what I'd be getting at. Like my objective with that guy would be to just get him to just indicate to me somewhat that yeah, like I don't care if he masturbated over them or fucked them in the ass. It doesn't matter. But my objective would be like, come on, man, you didn't just keep him up in the
0: you know there's attic, there,
1: right? Yeah,
0: no, there. There's more to it than that. He's not a corpse collector. He's not a Harrison Graham. So he was smoking crack, which I know he was not a fan of, and he turned out to be that. And I know he didn't like that about himself. And then on top of that, he was on dating websites saying, master looking for a slave. And so this is a former military. He was an electrician. I used to work as an electrician. And I tried to use that to say, hey, you know, I did that. That work sucks. Blah, blah, blah. And nothing worked. Nothing worked. He's hiding something for some reason but it's weird i've seen him do drawings of you know cemeteries with the names of his victims on the graves and things like that he has no remorse or something but there's some sort of shame for something some behavior that he did something is there and he is very adamant about protecting it
1: you know, I have a friend right now. I probably told you about this, but he's spending a lot of time with Richard Cottingham and he's making extraordinary progress with him, or at least so it seems. I know and, who your friend is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's Peter Vronsky. Honestly, yeah. Right? yeah with, J- with Jennifer Weiss, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I was talking to him. I mean, it's one of those situations. It's like, I want to go see Richie too. Mm -hmm. but I also don't want to butt in on Peter's thing, but yeah, you know, so it's one of those things. It's like, I don't want to be a selfish friend, but Mm -hmm. I'd like to go speak to him one time. Maybe in
0: sloppy seconds.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one thing that really I would have stuck to is Peter mentioned that one time he said, look, there's just some things that are embarrassing that i don't want to talk about and i thought well there's your clue i don't think that that is a lie Mm. i I don't think because you're a psychopath you have no sense of embarrassment i mean they want to cultivate a self-image right yeah they do and there are some things that don't fit into that self-image so you might have a guy who's a psychopath who's like yeah i killed 25 women, but they won't admit to that one little girl they killed mm-hmm. because it doesn't fit in with the sex beast, uh, virile serial killer thing they've taken. Cause it's like, dude, you're a pedophile, right? right that, that was
0: literally Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez had this whole night stalker thing. I'm creeping into your house and I'm going to fucking ravage you and turn you inside out. Come to find out in 2009, preceding the night stalker murders, he, raped and murdered a nine-year-old girl in northern california he was linked to through dna you know how come he never bragged about that one (laughs) things like that because it hurts the night stalker image that's why
1: you're right the egocentric psychopath as we talked about with phil jablonski previously creates a brand in a way Mm -hmm. right it's like an ideal self and i don't think that it's this is right out of my dissertation. and This all occurring to me in real time. But, you know, we just talked about Phil Jablonski, and we just talked about Richard Ramirez. And you know what yeah. both of those guys did? They left little messages. Yeah. So, Phil Jablonski, the, what is it, I Love Jesus? I, I Love Jesus on the back, yeah. Yeah, he carved the, I Love Jesus into the victim's back. With Ramirez, it was the pentagrams. Yeah. Like, Would you have been surprised at some point if Ramirez would have made a phone call or sent a letter? I wouldn't have. To be honest with you, like if he would have kept going, I don't think so. So they're like these egocentric, psychopathic killers who are crafting a homicidal ideal Uh and they can say, this is what I am. I'm the night stalker, man. The whole city of LA was afraid of me. I'm legendary. No one's going to forget about me. And I took out guys too. I didn't just kill women. I took out guys. I'm like Jason or some shit like that. Right? So those guys in many ways are going to be the easiest guys to talk to, but there is still that potential to embarrass them. And the embarrassment doesn't come from moral, for moral reasons. It's that they are aware that society would go, dude, you know, it's cool if you're killing women, but you fucked the kid and kill the yeah, kid. Yeah, That's pretty whack, man. And of course I don't think killing anyone for like the, those reasons is cool at all. Well, but, yeah,
0: but you're referring to the sociological hierarchy of
1: murder, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like the cultural zeitgeist, right? Yeah. And there's always this thing when it comes to certain victims where you're like, really? Yeah. You know? And so that in itself is interesting. Like this idea of the thing that they're embarrassed to talk about. And Well, I, yeah. th- I, th- I think with that, you have to let them... So right there,
0: you can establish that they want to control the narrative. You have to let them control the narrative. Also within that is that there's always going to be an underlying element of mistrust. There's always going to be a little bit of, I don't trust you completely on their end. So you have to break that down as much as fucking possible. And then maybe get to a point where you can kind of... Steer their narrative a little, or be pushing to go a little bit further and and try and take control of that narrative just a tiny bit. You know things like that, and you got to feel it as you go. You're walking through a room; it's pitch black. You're feeling
1: your way through it. That's how it is. Mm. Has there been a guy like, let's say you're you're fishing, right? Mm -hmm. Has there been a guy that you had on the hook, and you're like? close to getting him in the boat and then you did something wrong at the last minute and the fish went free
0: i'm sure in my earlier years of writing i 100 did that i think maybe the closest thing that i can think of off the top of my head was bobby joe long my approach to him was just all fucking wrong i didn't do my due diligence and take my time enough to really assess the approach that would be best suited for him. I ignored a lot of things. I tried to approach it very bullheadedly. It didn't go well. He was a total fucking dickhead to me, which... I've heard that about him, that he's just an asshole. he, He was absolutely an asshole. But I think that with a different approach and being willing to... Let him take hold of the correspondence and bring it into his world. And maybe I could have played more on his sexual appetite and things like that. And, oh, you want to talk about all this sexual stuff? Cool. I'm going to let you. I'm going to make you think that it's awesome and you're awesome. And that's what I should have done. I didn't do that. And and he wrote me back and was like, Psh, man, I don't give a fuck what you're into. You know, you sound like an idiot, fuck you, is <laughs> basically how mm-hmm. he came off to me. And I was just like, yeah, well, I kind of shit the bed on that one. Because that's the mm-hmm. thing. When you write them, that's your shot. You fuck it up, you do something to, to rub them the wrong way or something, man, they're not going to fucking reconsider you. I mean, there's one thing if they don't reply or if you catch them at a bad time or something. There's another thing if you just you've completely blown it. and And I think a lot of people you know, have more an opportunity to blow it than they have an opportunity to be successful with it. And that's because they rush it and they don't consider a lot of things.
1: One of the things that occurred to me is that these inmates are getting tablets and such now. And in Canada, they even have access to the internet. I'm Mm. not sure if they have that in the States, but yeah, don't let that happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't see any good coming from that.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, once they have access to the internet, it's like, theoretically, they could go and listen to Criminal Perspective Yeah. and how you spun their interview. And then the whole wall that allows you to hide your hand from them. You and know, they can see- uh, they,
0: yeah, they already have people that will listen to it and report back to them or play it for them over the phone or transcribe it for them. I have at least two people that we've interviewed that have said... That they're going to kill me if they ever get out of prison because they just didn't like what I had to say about them on the episode. So, I mean, they're going to fucking find this shit out either way. Contraband cell phones, smartphones, they're fucking everywhere. Everywhere. Mm. They're not hard to get a hold of. In California on death row, you can fucking, if you got 600 bucks and you snap your finger, you can get a phone in your hand. It's not a matter of having the internet or not having the internet, they fucking have it. It's a matter of allowing them to have it and making it so easily accessible. I mean, right now, if you got six, seven hundred bucks, yeah, you can have it. You can have an iPhone, but just giving it to them, bad fucking idea.
1: So they just use the prison Wi-Fi system or something? Well, they get full data plans and stuff. I mean, they have it. They have. (laughs) They have. Yeah, I fucking
0: kid you not. They pay like six, seven hundred dollars. They get a smartphone. They have someone on the outside maintaining it, paying the bill. We got a Facebook message from a guy a few weeks ago, and it just said, I kid you not, in his Facebook profile picture, he's wearing his prison blues and everything. And he just, this guy out of nowhere, hey, how much money will you pay me for my story? And I was just like, who the fuck are you? I was like, this guy's in prison. (laughs) He's hitting us up on a contraband phone. I just said, what are you in for? And he was like, armed robbery. This, that, and the other. I was like, sorry, man, we're not
1: interested. (laughs) But Yeah, that's about $20.
0: (laughs) Yeah, We're man. looking for
1: decapitated children, you Yeah, know, if you want to make some real money. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you better cop to some bodies if you want to get on our show.
0: But, yeah, <laughs> man, it's like this shit happens. And Andrew would be FaceTiming dudes on death row, hiding in their bunk and, you know, getting Facebook messages from guys.
1: And I don't know, man, it's crazy. Okay, so if there isn't a term for these people already, we got to coin it right now. I'm talking about people that snitch. On guys like you to their favorite murderer in prison, like, do you know what Criminal Perspective actually said oh, about you? We uh, need seriously, because there's, there's got to so be a name of- for that because that is some weak ass shit. It's like they actually care more about the inmate and their friendship with the inmate than they do about the research and the intellectual endeavor of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it's gross. There is something dirty
0: about that and that does happen a fucking lot. A yeah. lot. I remember the first time. So I spoke with Roy Norris for years and I remember I wrote Lawrence Bittaker and about a week later, maybe a couple weeks later, San Quentin's mail system is pretty slow. Maybe about a couple weeks later, I get an email with the photo of my letter that I sent Lawrence Bittaker. He sent it to this person on the outside who found me and was just like hey fuck off and like protecting him and stuff i mean yeah there's people out there that tell this person that person about we have an ongoing thing with a serial killer right now who andrew's been in contact for a long time i can't name who it is we're trying to get him to do an interview on the show he's entertained the idea but he won't commit to it and he has People on the outside telling him absolutely everything about the show and he criticizes it. Hey, you know, if you guys maybe didn't call it criminal perspective and called it something else, you might get a more highbrow audience and this and that. And it's just like, dude, shut the fuck up. And he thinks he knows everything because he has these people feeding him this information and stuff. And Yeah, this happens all the time. These little uh, fucking groupie snitches, you know, it's just it's weird. Yeah, we need a
1: term for them, though. We do a stigmatizing term that really is just like, bang, bang, because I don't know that you get much lower than that. You know, (laughs) I haven't betrayed the person that I was talking about with you initially because I'm a man of my word yeah, and I don't intend to betray him when he's dead. I don't think it'll matter. So I might be able to report my history of speaking to this person after he's dead Mm-hmm. But I made an agreement with them. It's like, look, I'm not going to go around telling everyone who you are. And that's because I'm not a psychopath because I, I know that if I play the short term game, then it jeopardizes the long term goals. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, is this not really about learning something? It is, you know, for me.
0: I, well, I, for me, it is as well. But take Andrew, for instance. Andrew really doesn't learn shit. And he's really not trying to learn shit. For him, it's about the experience. That's the separation of us on our show, is that we're not two intellectual guys or in this for the day. He, he does it just for solely the experience. Whereas me, I do it more for intellectual purposes. So,
1: so is it like a rush for him? He gets a letter and he goes, shit, yeah, man. I got a letter from Dave in yeah. St. Quentin or something like that. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It, it's,
0: it's pretty surface and superficial with him, and he admits that. He's not reading the books, digging into the guys, learning about this, that, and the other. This conversation that we're having... Or say, for instance, the one we previously had about Joe Clark, you can't have that with Andrew, <laughs> He's, you know, and and, and that's mm. cool, but that's that world. It's Some people are in it for the, I think a lot of people are in it for the experience. I would say most people are in it for the experience.
1: It, they're going through kind of a mundane day-to-day life, punch the clock, going to work, and it's sort of a highlight of the week when you get a Charlie Manson letter in your yeah. box. yeah. Mm-hmm had a girlfriend, I think, that w- was a bit like that. I think most people are. And I think it's the intrigue and the mystique. And that
0: hooks you in because you're like, yeah, I got this person. But what's this person like? And there's so mm. many of them that you're never going to run out of subjects.
1: <laughs> it's true. But, you know, it's like I wouldn't have ever written to Lawrence Bitteker. And it's not a criticism. What I'm saying is I wouldn't have because I feel that. Through his crimes and previously established information on him, Mm -hmm. I already know everything there is to know. I mean, at the end of the day, he's just a great white shark. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like there are no more levels to him. He is a pure distillation of a psychopathic sex sadist. And I don't think there's really much more to his personality
0: and you know what? I think you're right. I think at that time, this was when I first started doing it. I think at that time, I was trying to build and learn more. But at the same time, there's something in me that wanted to, oh, this guy's got a 150 IQ. Okay, let me see. Let me talk to him. Let me see if I can match wits with this guy. It was, you know, there's some of that. There's yeah. some of that fucking machista bullshit going on with me I don't right. know but I mean it, it's developed a lot since then but yeah I, I mean when I first started you're right there's there's nothing complex to Lawrence Bittaker. it's all out there it's all in the open mm. it's all for the taking but at the same time I mean I think back then I was maybe a little driven by my ego and that okay I I, I want to see what this guy's like and my curiosity really to maybe have that experience for myself as well you know
1: yeah for sure and there's guys that you know are highly psychopathic that i do still think that there's more to them Mm. so one of the guys that i would have really enjoyed writing to though he passed away and it's difficult because it's in the uk is ian brady the moore's Mm. murderer yeah you're talking about a guy here who's well read you know by the standards of a serial sex murderer and deeply philosophical in a dark direction and even though i think that he uses his philosophy to justify pre-existing urges Uh rather than the other way around which he'd like to have you believe we could still talk about that or with the night stalker ramirez right we could talk about well the celebrity of it or you know or we could talk about Why the Satanism, you come from this Catholic family and and all of a sudden Satan and what does that mean (laughs) to you? Like there's cultural levels to these people that for me with like a Lawrence Bitteker just does not exist. Like I said, he's a great white shark. It's like Mm -hmm. just a predatory animal and that's all it is. Like it's pure to the point of being dull.
0: Well, that's just it with Bitteker. But this is the thing with a, a good handful of them is that had they not done what they did, they'd be rather unremarkable people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's really what it is. And when you accept that, then you, you start to, okay, why do I want to talk to this person? What am I going to get from this? What are the possibilities? What am I curious about? And you really start to analyze why you're doing what you're doing.
1: Mm. Right. So, You've obviously written to a lot of people that they probably come back to you and they're like, well, that was the old me. Now I'm (laughs) God's John Doe, right? Yeah. Yeah, it happens. What do you make of that and how do you handle it? Like, you're an atheist. We've established this before. Yeah. And I assume that though, like I'm an atheist too, but I find religion interesting but there's only so much I want to sit around and talk about <laughs> how Jesus has, you know, saved you. Like David Berkowitz would blow oh. the fuck out of me, man. I just <laughs> At some point you went, Dave, just cut this shit, man. Cut yeah, this shit, you know? Yeah, like Yeah, Robert Yates
0: comes to mind. He loves his Christianity, loves it. Good for him, but I'm not trying to talk about how Jesus saved him and brightened up his life. Another one, one that kind of came out of left field. For me, was there's a guy in oh man, Iowa, Adam Moss, and he was the most prolific mass murderer. I believe he killed nine people. I don't know if he's a, a family annihilator or who these victims were. Off the top of my head, it's been so, so long. Actually, a few years ago, he committed suicide. But When I wrote him, I got a letter back, the quintessential I'm not the same person and very, very into Jesus and all this. And when you get that, sometimes you can say, "Okay, I'm going to let them have their God for a little. Ramon Salcedo went on a a killing spree in California. He's currently on death row. I believe he's a uh, minister or some shit on death row now, but he would send me, fuck, like thick stacks of literature, bible literature and his teachings and on you know you want to let him do that for a bit but if it gets to a point where they're all consumed by this you're not going to penetrate that you're not sometimes if i mean if it's very 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 extreme you just got to cut your losses
1: <laughs> have you had any interesting conversations about religion or faith with any of the people that you've talked to like have you found that you know it's not just that this person is throwing stacks of verses at me to try and avoid confronting what they've done or to try and convince me that they're a better person or to grandstand. But like, have you actually had any interesting say theological or philosophical exchanges? Um,
0: on Jesus? No. Um, there's a there's a guy in Ohio, he wants nothing to do with me now. I tried uh, I tried pay in him uh, last year, and he was like, yeah, man, you can fucking beat it. <laughs> he just didn't mm-hmm. want anything to do with me anymore. But I used to talk to him years and years ago. His name is Nathan Brooks. And when he was 16, he went into his parents' bedroom, and he shot both of them, and then he decapitated his father, put his father's head in a punch bowl and did a luciferian satanic ritual with the head and he was very into luciferian satanism like not anton Lavey satanisms you know i'm the master i I am my own god but theistic there is a theistic satan and i want to go to hell when i die you know (laughs) types so He was into that shit. So, of course, this was a topic for discussion. (laughs) Uh, He's much older now, and we talked about it a little bit, and uh, I don't think that there's anything enlightening or interesting or that the conversation had a lot of depth or anything but i think just the overall subject matter and just discussing that and the role that it once played with him was interesting not that he got far away from it and turned to god or anything i think maybe he's into atheism now or something and a bit too logical refers to people as organisms <laughs> shit like that so, that's
1: almost like affected the right when yeah. people start doing that stuff i'm like i know what you're trying to do yeah yeah. you are playing a character that's not you
0: yeah a really good example of it this is not someone i had a conversation with but when it comes to shit like that a good example of that would be rod farrell if you just look at rod farrell he's like the archetype for people like that and it's it's all kind of like that they all kind of share that same the whole fucking thing he
1: does and whatever
0: did you talk to rod farrell I never did, but I talked to his co-defendant, Scott Anderson.
1: Right. He seemed to be like the dominated weak, come along for the ride. Hey, at least Rod's friends with me sort of type, right? I mean, all of them were.
0: All of them were. Uh, You know, Rod did his little cult leader, thousand-year-old vampire thing, and they all kind of played that devotee role, you know?
1: I can't believe they got away with doing that um, in, what was it, Kentucky or whatever? If they would have done that shit in my no, hometown, a, someone would have kicked... It like, was in Florida. All the jo- well, that was where the murders took place, but the whole oh, Oh, are talking little, about the, the
0: vampire cult shit?
1: Yeah, like, unless he was really fucking intimidating, if he had done that stuff in my hometown, all the jocks would have beat the shit out of him, <laughs> like, all the time. Honestly, he was no Pazuzu
0: Algard. you know, he was a very watered down version of it.
1: Yeah, I I guess what it was an easy town to master or something. I were all the guys keeping this dude in check. Yeah, I was was, doing like my live action Dungeons and Dragons cult (laughs) in Bowmanville, Ontario. They would have fucking i mean i had problems anyways do do you remember i don't know if it was like this in canada but that vampire role-playing game book was really fucking hot at that time yeah vampire the masquerade yeah
0: yeah 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 so i mean they're doing their play cult and all that shit in in murray kentucky which is fuck middle of nowhere and I think, you know, you have all these stupid hicks in Murray, Kentucky, and you have all these fucking people who think they're vampires. Those people aren't going to fuck with these vampire people.
1: These are Christian hillbillies, you know? They're Wow. So they're so backward that they were actually afraid of the geeky vampire kids? I would think so. That would be my take on this. I guess you're right because, like, that whole West Memphis 3 thing in yeah. saw right, where it was like, hey, you know— Damien Eccles is a yeah. wizard. You know, <laughs> d- don't go near him. Honestly, I'm not trying to No, no, that's here. I'm telling you that where sure. I grew up, Damian Eccles would have been like shoved in a fucking locker <laughs> and I'm I'm just being real with you, man. You yeah. know what I mean? And here's me thinking like these redneck places are like so hardcore. It's like, nah, just get half an hour east of Toronto and you're gonna have major problems
0: if, if they think for two seconds you're going to send them to hell they will look the other way
1: <laughs> this is a glass box media podcast